This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening to find out how you can win the first eight pins in their Discovery Episode Pins collection and be a part of Discovering Trek. Plus, stand by for your special discount code just for listening. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A dangerous mission, a dangerous enemy, and a dangerous captain. Chapter one of Star Trek Discovery is complete, and it went out with an incredible bang. But our discussion is just beginning. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Episode 9 of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It is just so great to be here with you once again to talk about this mid-season finale of Discovery, and boy, do we have a lot of stuff to discuss. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and thank you so much for joining us. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest Discovery episode entitled, Into the Forest I Go. You know, this is the very first time in Star Trek history that we've had a mid-season cliffhanger. And as someone told us last week, he expected it to be on the level of the best of both worlds. And who was that someone who said those very words, I wonder? Well, you know, that would be my co-host. And by now, you all know the drill. This is the moment where I proudly introduce him and tell him what an amazing job he's doing. You know, heck, I might even be deceitful and tell him that he should win a Medal of Honor instead of me. Am I serious? Or am I just trying to keep that center seat? Hmm. Well, he is my very special friend. He's my brother in Trek. And he is my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, the medal is all yours, my friend. Oh, thanks, buddy. I really appreciate that. Thanks for that intro. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Excited to talk about the mid-season finale. And hey, at least I got one prediction right this season. <laughs> one is better than none, which I think is where I'm at, at least to this point. So uh, congratulations. That's, uh, that's not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, normally... This would be the point where you would do some great introductions for some wonderful guest stars that we're going to have on on the show. But unfortunately, illness has kind of uh, put that to a quick and abrupt halt, hasn't it? It has, Dan. We were supposed to be joined tonight by Ashley Victoria Robinson and Jason Inman. They of the Geek History Lesson podcast, among other things, including their brand new comic book, Jupiter Jet, which is premiering all over the place very soon. But uh, as you said, they've uh, they've fallen ill and can't join us tonight. So uh, like we did a couple of episodes ago, you and I are going to kick it Trek Geek style. We're going to do some uh, some original Trek and uh, and love it the whole time. Always a good thing. Well, we uh, we hope that Dr. Culber is taking good care of Ashley, and we look forward to seeing both Ashley and Jason during the second half of the season. And as you may remember, Jason's going to be joining us in just a couple of weeks over on Trek Geeks. But tonight, it is all about Episode 9 of Discovery. And before we begin, Bill, how might listeners contact us to tell us what they thought about that midseason finale? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. We're sending friendship messages in all languages and on all frequencies tonight, Dan. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek and on Facebook 
You can find us at facebook.com slash discoveringtrek. There you can join in on the discussion for each episode and leave us comments, questions, suggestions, or your own friendship messages. Don't forget, too, that you can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. But please remember that any comments you leave us anywhere could be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek, Dan. All right. Thanks, Bill. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode nine of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for the fall finale, Into the Forest I Go. When last we left the starship Discovery, she was still at the planet Pavo. The Klingon ship of the dead is making its way to this planet, and the Discovery is the only thing standing between the Pavans and Annihilation. Admiral Tural orders Captain Lorca to head for Starbase 46? This doesn't sit well with Lorca. He knows they can't leave this planet defenseless. Lorca orders a course to Starbase 46 at warp 5. No spore drive. If they can find a way to save the Pavans by penetrating the Klingon invisibility shield, they'll make the jump back to Pavo. If not, well, yeah. This all has to look credible, like they're actually having problems with the spore drive. So Lorca orders Lieutenant Stamets to sickbay for a complete range of examinations. They have to create a data trail in case somebody at Starfleet wonders why they didn't just jump there in the first place. Stamets has an understandable trepidation on submitting himself to these exams, but Lorca doesn't really give him a choice. In the meantime, the crew has been working on how to penetrate the Klingon's cloak of invisibility. There's a possible solution, but it requires sending a boarding party to the Ship of the Dead to install two sensors that would then send the data back to the Discovery to create an algorithm. The only problem is that it will take days to gather enough data about the ship to defeat the cloak. That's not helpful. Lorca heads back to sickbay to check on Stamets, and Dr. Culber has found much more than he bargained for. Stamets' brain is actually being restructured by all of the jumps Discovery is making. Lorca chats with Stamets on the side. He wants Stamets to make 133 micro-jumps so they can gather all of the information they need to defeat the Klingon's invisibility screens. That would allow for the algorithm to be built in minutes instead of days. Stamets doesn't even know if making the jumps in that fashion is even possible, but Lorca appeals to Stamets' inner scientist. But that's not all. Lorca has also been tracking every jump that Stamets has made and analyzing the data. Traveling the mycelial network may just contain the secret to unlocking other dimensions and maybe even time travel. How can Stamets say no to that? Lorca orders Tyler to assemble a boarding party of two people to beam to the Klingon ship. Get in, get out. Tyler requests permission for Specialist Burnham to join him, and Lorca says no immediately. Burnham points out that she's the only one who has been on the Klingon ship, and that makes her the perfect person to go with Tyler. Lorca is reluctant, but Burnham points out that this is why she's there. Eventually, he agrees, begrudgingly. In engineering, Tilly accidentally lets the cat out of the bag that Stamets has in fact, been experiencing side effects from the jumps, something he hasn't quite 
told Dr. Culber yet. Culber outfits Stamets with a wearable device that will allow the doctor to treat Stamets while he's in the reaction cube making jumps. Lorca rallies the troops. They detect the signature of a cloaked Klingon vessel entering the orbit of Pavo, and they make the jump back. Cole orders the ship of the dead to decloak and open fire. Cole wants the crew executed, and he wants Discovery's secret weapon. Oh, and just for good measure, he wants to destroy Pavo and the transmitter. Tyler and Burnham beam aboard the Klingon ship. Lorca orders the crew of the Discovery to keep the Klingons busy. Tyler and Burnham place the first sensor and keep moving. Then Burnham's tricorder detects the life signs of a human aboard the Klingon ship. Burnham wants to go find the human and leave no one behind, and Tyler, who doesn't love the idea, goes along with it. They force open a door to find Admiral Cornwell lying motionless inside with a whole bunch of Klingon bodies. Burnham administers a hypo to Cornwell and gets her sitting up and talking. Tyler then spots Laurel sitting among the dead. This triggers memories of Tyler's torture at her hands on the Klingon prison ship, and he has a full-blown PTSS episode. He's completely unable to move. Burnham stuns Laurel. Cornwell has treated people like this before, and she tells Burnham that Tyler is in shock. He's not going to be of any help to her. Burnham gives a phaser to Cornwell and tells Cornwell and Tyler that she'll be back when the mission is completed. Meanwhile, the battle between the Discovery and the Klingons continues. Burnham makes it to the bridge on board the Ship of the Dead, and she places the second and final sensor. Lorca issues the order for Black Alert to begin the series of 133 micro-jumps. Discovery jumps and fires until the Ship of the Dead cloaks again. The sensors begin transmitting the cloaking frequency to the Discovery to build the algorithm, and Stamets' pulse becomes dangerously high. The micro-jumps start taking a toll on Stamets about halfway through. Culber tells the bridge they have to abort, but Lorca refuses. Culber is ordered to treat Stamets and keep him going no matter what. Cole is made aware of a possible sabotage near the burial chamber. He gives the command to go to warp, and Burnham opens fire with a phaser to distract him to stop the warp jump. She reveals herself to Cole, and he has the Starfleet emblem that belonged to Captain Giorgio. Burnham tells Cole that she was the one who killed Takuvma. Klingons respond to the burial chamber. Cornwell prepares to defend herself with the phaser, but there's only so much she can do since her legs aren't working. She hits one Klingon while trying to get through to Tyler and snap him out of his PTSS episode. He finally comes around when reminded of Burnham. He takes the other Klingon out and then closes the door again. Burnham challenges Cole to combat. He accepts her challenge and tosses her a mechleth, and they begin to duel. The Discovery completes the micro-jumps. Saru says he needs about five minutes to calculate the cloaking algorithm. Lorca wonders why the Klingon ship isn't firing at them now that they've stopped. Cole and Burnham continue to fight. Su- uh, Saru completes the algorithm. Ash, Tyler, and Cornwell are beaming back the Discovery, and Laurel jumps up and grabs onto Tyler to beam back with them. Burnham is told to prepare for beam-out. She grabs Georgiou's comm badge from Cole and jumps over the railing as she dematerializes. Lorca orders the Discovery to fire photon torpedoes on the cloaked Klingon vessel, and the ship of the dead is destroyed. Admiral Terral tells Lorca that Cornwell's emergency medical shuttle has arrived and she's receiving care. He also reports that cloaked Klingon ships are approaching Federation space. Terrell orders Discovery to Starbase 46, while Lorca will be awarded the Legion of Honor by Starfleet. 
Burnham visits Tyler in his quarters. She asks him about seeing Laurel, and Tyler tells Burnham that she already knows who she is to him. He says Laurel is the reason he's had nightmares every night since escaping the prison ship with Lorca, but also that she's the only reason he survived in the first place. He knew that going along with Laurel's requests was the only way he'd survive. Burnham comforts him. He says he's found peace here with her, and they kiss. Lorca finds Stamets in the shuttle bay. He tells the lieutenant about how Starfleet wanted to give him a medal, but he's told him to give it to Stamets instead, since Stamets has essentially helped him win the war. Stamets volunteers to do one more jump to make sure the Discovery and her crew are safe. Lorca talks about what a new era this is going to be for Discovery, but Stamets tells him this jump home will be his final jump. No more after that. He needs doctors to examine his conditions and find out what's wrong with him. Lorca tells Stamets that he served Starfleet honorably. Tyler has nightmare of sexual abuse and torture he suffered from Laurel. He wakes up on his sofa next to a sleeping Burnham. He then goes to the brig to face Laurel. He asks her what she did to him. Laurel says that she will never let them hurt him. The alert sounds. Tyler exits the brig. Stamets prepares for his final jump to bring Discovery home, making plans to visit the Cassilian Opera House on a moon near Starbase 46 with Culber. Lorca pulls up the spore drive navigation on his command chair console and then seems to override the destination. But as the jump happens, Stamets screams and the reaction cube frosts over. Tilly reports that it was an incomplete navigation sequence. Tilly and Culber pull Stamets out. Culber says he's crashing. Stamets' eyes go completely white and he mumbles something about being able to see everything. On the bridge, Saru is unable to determine their position. He has no idea where they are as Lorca stares out the view screen and sees wreckage surrounding the ship. Well, buddy, uh, you said cliffhanger, and uh, we got a cliffhanger. A great recap, my friend. So uh, why don't we get right into it? What do you say? I like that idea. Okay. Well, first of all, very, very quick question that uh, we're going to start doing on a regular basis here on Discovering Trek. And, And let's get our thoughts. Thumbs up or thumbs down? So with episode nine, Into the Forest I Go, what are your overall thoughts high level on this episode? And do you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down, partner? You know, I have to say that this episode, you know, had a a pace that was uh, was just incredible. It was like a juggernaut. There was constantly action going on. There was constantly great character development. I think this episode truly hit all of the notes that you would hope for at this point in the series, and and then some. <laughs> so uh, I think that this truly was, you know, two thumbs way up. I uh, I salute this episode. It's easily for me the best one of the series so far, but I feel like I'm saying that each and every week, Dan. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, every it's 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 interesting that every week they get better and better. I got to say one thing. I am really glad that the powers that be decided to make this episode part of the 
first chapter and make it the episode that now we're going to have to wait for a couple of months before we see what happens. Last week was great, but this was a true cliffhanger where if last week's episode was the one before the break, I don't think it would have had as much punch as this one did. But uh, as with you, I'm giving this two big thumbs up. It was a great episode. There were tons of things going on, great drama, amazing action, and a storyline that worked and there weren't really too many plot holes in it that people are going to pick apart, at least that I could see. Agreed. You know, there's there's a lot that happens here. You know, we it, I feel like we've used this phrase in a lot of our episodes here on Discovering Trek that, you know, there's a lot to unpack. But, you know, there's, there's two to three times as much to unpack here for just about every single character. And I think that's what makes this episode and this series so enjoyable for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. And as uh, with every story, like you mentioned, there's a lot going on with the characters. So let's dive right into some of those key discussion points uh, for the mid-season finale. The first thing I want to talk about is Ash Tyler. And wow, this was a great Ash Tyler episode. And kind of for the wrong reasons, because we really saw what he is feeling and how he is dealing with his PTSD. So I guess the first question I have for you is we've seen over several weeks that he's this big, strong guy and he's dealing with the problems of being in a Klingon prison for seven months. Um, and it's obvious that he had been hiding this because as soon as he saw Laurel, he just melted into a puddle. So what do you think? Was he the wrong guy for this job? Was he hiding it that well that even Lorca couldn't see what was going on with him? Uh, I'm going to say yes uh, on on both counts, really. You know, I want to talk about this a lot more later, but, you know, the the thing that struck me about Ash Tyler in this scene was that, you know, he pretty much reacted as I figured he was going to. It's not that he was necessarily that good at hiding his issues, but honestly, that's what people who are, are trying to work through these things tend to do, right? You know, they don't necessarily want the world to know what's going on for fear of whatever. And in this case, it would take away from Ash Tyler's ability to serve up retribution or vengeance. Because, you know, he said in the last episode he wants to make the Klingons hurt. You know, it's very personal for him. And in this episode, we really kind of get a, a true sense as to why. It wasn't just that he was imprisoned. So was he the wrong guy for this job? Oh, 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 oh yeah. He absolutely was the wrong guy for this job. Um, did Lorca know that? I think is another question we have to ask ourselves. And I think on some level, he he probably does. You know, you can't expect that, that Ash Tyler is going to be stuck in a Klingon prison ship for that long and just be okay. But then Lorca has a few other issues, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And it's, it's, you, I like that you brought that point up because Cornwell actually said that to Lorca when she found out that all of a sudden now he is the head of security. So uh, that's a good point. One of the things that I have been struggling with today, the day after watching the finale, and I got to say, the more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm starting to convince myself is this whole back and forth that we've seen online for several weeks as to whether or not he is really a Klingon or is he actually Volk himself? So bear with me for a second as I as I give my uh, my analysis of what I think is happening. Um, those torture flashbacks were pretty gruesome. There was a lot of blood. There were a lot of blades, and there was a lot of screaming on uh, on Ash's part. I'm starting to wonder, especially based on what we saw at the end of the episode when he was in the brig uh, talking to Laurel. 
if he is not actually Volk after all, because it is very possible to me now that those torture scenes were not actually torture scenes, but the scenes of him being surgically altered to look human and then having his memory erased by Laurel as she is a deceiver and wanted to supplant him into the Discovery crew. As crazy as I thought that was just a few weeks ago, I really think it's possible now and it would be a major curveball to what this story is telling. What do you think? I, d- I don't know if I'm I'm actually buying that yet. I mean, I can believe those flashbacks were necessarily torture. You know, I've seen a couple of discussion threads on on Facebook earlier today where people, you know, sort of you know use the freeze frame and and went through every single frame of those flashbacks to tell if they could see Voke, and many of them did not. They they could make out Laurel clearly, but that was really the only Klingon they could make out. So at this point, I'm still inclined to believe that that Ash Tyler is a, a Manchurian candidate type, you know, perhaps he's a sleeper agent, um, kind of like, um, Jordy was used in, in next gen in a way, but certainly on a much different level. Um, I, I will admit at one point I'm sitting there last night going to myself, he's going to be Vogue. He's, he's going to be Vogue. I still don't know that I want that to be the case, but at this point I don't think it's the case. Okay. I I actually saw some of those discussions today. I didn't go uh, in depth into reading them, but I did see one person, and uh, unfortunately, I don't know, I don't recall off the top of my head who that was, said something about in those freeze frames, one of the scenes looked like Volk's eyes. I haven't seen the screenshot, so I can't confirm it. I'm going to have to go back and research it, but yeah, it would be it would be something that uh, would I think take a lot of people by surprise. But on the other hand, a lot of people wouldn't be surprised because they've been saying it for weeks. So I guess we'll see. Um, So moving along from Tyler, Bill, uh, the next thing I wanted to bring up was the strange turn of events at the end of the episode with regards to Captain Lorca and the Vulcan Admiral. And I guess I'm going to put it as a blunt question to you. Why on earth... Do you think Starfleet would ever give a Medal of Valor to a captain that violated direct orders? Um, in a word, politics. Uh, they, <laughs> I mean, really, that's got to be what it is, right? They can't really take the guy who is essentially the hero of Pavo, for all intents and purposes, and smack him down when he essentially could have stopped the Klingon war by cracking the the invisibility screens on the Klingon ship of the debt. You know, he's, he's given them the single key advantage they needed to gain an upper hand. And can they really smack him down for that? Plus he brought back a Starfleet flag officer, Admiral Cornwell alive. He didn't know he was going to, but that's neither here nor there. So two huge victories for him, um, all for disobeying orders. And that's really the only way I can see that, that he gets a medal. You know, I just I I found it interesting that this Vulcan Admiral, and unfortunately, I, I apologize, I don't recall his name, but I know I've said it before. He never even brought up to my recollection the fact that he disobeyed his orders at any point in that conversation. And I thought that was a little strange. I would think a Vulcan with logic would definitely want to point out the fact that he was the one who said he wasn't supposed to uh, go on this mission. So I found that interesting. And it made me think. Are they that thankful that his plan worked 
Or do you think it's possible that before Cornwell was captured, that she may have talked to this admiral about Lorca's state of mind, and now they're trying to, I don't know, in some kind of tricky way, get him to return home so that they can relieve him of command of the discovery? Because at that point, Cornwell wasn't back or even known if she was dead or alive. Well, you know, uh, Cornwell didn't really even know Lorca's state of mind until after she was already aboard the Discovery. So we don't know that she actually had the ability to, you know, uh, exactly. drop a dime to Admiral Tyrrell or to any of the others. So we have to assume at this point that um, it, it's, uh, I guess, thankful it may be the right word. Um, I, I think they're just relieved that they're not going to lose the war, you know, because that's really what this was looking like for them. You know, without this advantage and no way to to find the the Klingon ships while they were cloaked, they were they were kind of screwed. Let me ask you this: You bring up a good point. We have been under the impression that the entirety of season one was going to be about the Klingon war. Do you think the war is over based on what happened in last night's episode? I don't think it's over, but I think the tide is certainly turned. I don't know if we'll get back to it this season. Um, simply because we're somewhere else now, or so we, we believe maybe, and maybe that's the, you know, they've been referring to this as chapter one of Discovery's first season, the, the Klingon war, maybe chapter two is something else entirely. So, uh, but I think it's reasonable to believe that it's given Starfleet the advantage they need to actually win and to bring a truce. Okay. Well, We've been talking about Lorca a little bit, so let's focus him on focus in on him just a little bit. Um, oh gosh, what's the best way to to put this? Let's discuss how he manipulates his crew in order to keep command. Because in my eyes, that's exactly what he's doing. Now, on one hand, I want to get your take on what I consider to be that awesome speech he gave the entire ship before heading back to Pavo with phrases like polite scientists becoming fierce warriors and how they would be the heroes of this war, this, that, and the other thing. It seems to me that he's got a plan and he's really good at turning a negative into something that he can use as a positive when he's trying to get what he wants with his crew. Absolutely. You know, he, well, like any Starfleet captain, right? They've all given speeches to the crew over the over the speakers, whether it's Kirk or Picard or Cisco or Janeway or even Archer. They've all had those moments where they've needed to bolster the people under their command to get the job done. And Lorca delivers, right? He gives a speech that is 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 legendary. You know, I'm sure. Uh, I love that line too about the polite scientists becoming fierce warriors. He knows that he has to, you know not really win the day with these troops, but keep them on his side. Because if they really knew what was going on inside his head, there might be a second Starfleet mutiny. And I think that there's nothing that Gabriel Lorca does that he hasn't calculated or manipulated into place. I just don't think that he does things nicely, or I don't think there's any coincidence with Lorca. I think that everything he does serves a purpose and it's, it's his. Here's the difference I have with Lorca versus all of the other captains that you mentioned. I don't think there's ever been a time where I've listened to Picard or Cisco or Archer or any Starfleet captain for that matter, give a speech like that and not believe him right at the onset of the speech. 
Now, is that because we see that he's broken in in different episodes of the show? Or is it I, – I don't even know how to explain it, but that speech, as great as it was, the whole time I'm like, he's just – He's just placating to these people because he's got a plan. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I was thinking that at that time. Well, you know, we know that, right, as the viewers, but the crew doesn't know that. I mean, you think back to the other captains, and we know that they're, you know, Starfleet's best of the best. You know, they're beyond reproach. You know, they're they're always the good guy wearing the white hat. You know, they may have times when they are faced with challenges or, or dilemmas, but ultimately it's that white hat that wins the day. And with Lorca, we know that that he's got serious issues and problems. We know he's incredibly damaged, but his crew has no idea. So he still has to he still has to go through those messages with them and inspire them because they're in the middle of a war. And if his crew doesn't perform, he doesn't get any of his goals. Agreed. Uh, we talked about the speech at the beginning. Let's talk about the speech at the end of the episode when it was just he and Stamets in the cargo bay. And I got to say, kudos to the special effects team for that beautiful uh, scene outside of the cargo bays with the planet and the sun rising. That was just really, really nice. But here we have another moment where Stamets is injured. He doesn't want to do a jump, I think, but yet Lorca manipulates and says the things that need to be said to get what he wants to make that one final jump. And unknown to me at the time, getting him to say yes to that one final jump means everything with this cliffhanger. Well, and Lorca knew that Stamets was going to say yes based on who Stamets is. You know, he's like, yeah, we'll we'll warp back to Starbase 46. Don't don't worry about it. We're fine. As if to say well, if you wanted to, but he didn't have to say it because it was all in his tone. And of course, Stamets is like, well, no, I, I want to get this crew back to safety. You know, and, and Lorca's like, well, if you think that's best, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he just, he totally positioned Stamets right where he wanted him and got the reaction he knew Stamets would give him. He knew he was going to get that last jump before he even entered into the conversation. Stamets was the only one who didn't know it at that point. Let me ask you this about that discussion. And I had this I had this conversation uh, with a mutual friend uh, earlier. And that is, he talked about the Medal of Valor and how he said to Starfleet Brass, you know what? I don't deserve that medal. Lieutenant Stamets deserves that medal. Do you think that was genuine or that was just another, you know, feather in his cap to get Stamets to do his bidding? I think that one could go either way. I could see Lorca doing either of those. Um, I, I'm inclined to believe that, you know, he's, he's, he, maybe he did say it, but I think he knew full well that he wasn't going to get back to Starbase 46 anytime soon. Yeah. And the thing that <laughs> this is funny, cause I don't know if you caught it, of course, with everything going on with the episode last night, watching it for the first time, everything's going on in the, um, you know, Stamets is getting into the, in the, into the, uh, uh, engine, uh, the, uh, spore drive room and, and everything's getting ready for the jump and Lork is on his, uh, little command chair uh, pressing buttons. I didn't see the override until I was looking at stuff online this morning. And oh man, did that change everything for me as to my um, 
now non-appreciation of Lorca. I don't know if that's the right thing. He overrode the last jump to Destination Unknown, man. Can you believe that? I, I can in a sense because, let's be honest, Gabriel Lorca is not a good person. <laughs> okay, maybe at one point in his career he was a model Starfleet officer. But right now, he absolutely is not. It's all about what he wants. It's not about the exploration or the good of the mission or even for the war. It's all about Gabriel Lorca. So I can believe that he overrode the last jump because as far as he's concerned, he's got the best ship in the history of Starfleet and they can do things nobody else could ever do. It's funny before I even knew that he overrode that last jump, they were having that discussion on the, on the, in the, in the cargo bay. And they're having the talk and, and I'm looking at my wife, Susan, and I'm like, don't do the jump. Don't do the jump. What are you doing? Oh my God, he's going to say yes. Oh my God, he's going to say yes. And now knowing that it was overridden purposefully, oh God, it just ripped my heart out. It was such a great new dimension to what you just said. He's a, he's a bad guy. And isn't that weird to be calling a captain in a Star Trek series on a starship the bad guy? But he really is. And maybe for he thinks he's doing the right thing, but it just added a whole new dimension for me. So it was it was tough to watch. I don't think I can go so far as to call him a bad guy because we still don't know his true motivation, right? He could be, you know, trying to do things the way that he believes they need to be done. But we also know how broken this man is. And I think his his very nature at this point calls every decision he makes in a question. And I think that I think Cornwall was spot on. I think that's why you know Cornwall wound up the prisoner of the Klingons. Do you think that or what do you think the reason that he is overly protected protective of Michael is? We saw it in the argument that they had of whether or not she was going to go on the away mission. And that was a question that my wife and I actually discussed is why is he protecting her so much? What are your thoughts on that? I figure there has to be some sort of purpose for her that that hasn't been revealed to us yet. I mean, because Michael Burnham was right. She logically is the person that should go on that mission. I mean, that's essentially why she's there, you know, to help stop the war. That's how he pitched it to her. But there's some other piece of this puzzle I don't think we have. You know, I I think that he's just starting to, I think he's starting to realize that discovery can be so much more and if it weren't for Burnham, they never would have made the progress they had as far as the tardigrade goes. So I, I, I think that maybe he's hedging his bet saying, well, yeah, I, I need her to do the rest of this. And I don't necessarily want her to go because he could have just left Tyler there and blown at the ship, quite frankly. Sure. You don't think there's any um, paternal uh, anything like that, and he wants to protect her because you know he's fond of her and wants her. It's all just some scheme thing going on. I don't think Gabriel Lorca is capable of that, at least not as we know him right now. I don't think he's got that uh, that sense about him. I don't think he's got a parental bone in his body. All right, oh, we'll find out. That's for sure. But uh, okay, so moving along, uh, the Klingon ship of the dead—it's uh, gone. I uh, did not expect that, and did not expect to see Cole. Uh, incinerated team Cole baby. Um, when that happened, they were showing external shots of the explosion. And then they were going back to the discovery bridge. We saw Burnham get a look of approval from Saru of all people. 
Do you think that there's some redemption for Burnham, Bill? Or do you think she still has a long way to go to get Saru's approval? I think there's the, a little bit of redemption. She accomplished the mission, right? That was the goal. You know, to give them the edge they need. And um, I, I don't know if they were they were hoping to destroy the the ship of the dead, but um, but they did. And, you know, they're all safe. You know, Saru, I'm sure, is aware that it means probably a speedier end of the war than that might have occurred otherwise. But I, I do think that Burnham still has a, a way to go. You know, there's still a, a a deep chasm there between her and Saru, especially after the last episode. Um, and I, I think that she's gained the tiniest bit of ground because she's actually you know lived to her potential. But I, I think it's I think it's touch and go right now. I think that that could all change depending. So yeah, I say yes. Burnham gained a point in her column, but I don't know that she's made up that deficit at this point. I half expected her to hand Giorgio's pin over to him when she was looking at it. I think that would have scored a lot of points. But then I'm like, no, wait a minute. She already gave him the telescope, so she should keep that one for herself. I had the same thought. I, I figured, you know, for sure she was going to do something with that pin or maybe give it to Lorca or I, or I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I'm glad that she's got it for now because I think at this point she needs it. I agree 100%. So let's uh, tackle one more uh, discussion point that has been burning through social media today like we've never seen before. Now, earlier in the season, we had our first F-bomb in Star Trek history on Discovery from Tilly. And oh, by the way, Tilly needs to learn how to keep her mouth shut. Uh, I'm just going to say that a little bit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And in this fall finale, we saw something that we have never seen before. And that would be Laurel and her Klingon breasts in a sex scene. And I'm just curious, man, what what were your thoughts about it? A lot of people are having a problem with it. Um, So, I mean, we've talked about before on Discovering Trek that, you know, this is on a streaming service. So they're they're able to uh, push the limit a little bit more. We saw that with the F-bomb. But what did you think about what we saw with Laurel last night? You know, I I understand why people have a problem with that depiction for a variety of reasons. You know, it's Star Trek. um, It's gratuitous in their minds. It's... um, we have so many strong women on this show. Why did we essentially need to resort to nudity for one of the female characters? But I, I have to say that's not what I initially responded to when I saw this scene. I, you know, my first thought was, um, okay, we are watching the sexual abuse of a prisoner in a time of war. And that's really what bothered me the most. Um, I've been referring to this as fake nudity um, today because if you think about it, it really is, you know, it's, it's makeup and yes, it does, you know, essentially paint the picture of Laurel being naked. And I suppose that happens during that particular act. But to me, I was, I'm more disappointed that the discussion is not what was occurring in the scene and is more about the fact that we saw Klingon breasts. Um, that was going to be exactly my point. We saw that, you know, this is obviously something that is damaged, uh, Tyler greatly. And in these flashbacks, I got to be honest with you when it happened, 
it was kind of a flashback to the Super Bowl years ago with Janet Jackson and her wardrobe malfunction. It happened so fast that I was actually like, wait a minute, did I just see what I think I saw? And I looked over at Susan and she had the same look on her face. It was like, okay, that's something that we've never seen in Star Trek. It didn't really, you know, bother me too much in that it was very brief. Now, I, I totally understand that. You made a great point a second ago. Very, very strong women in this series. And why do you have to do that? We've talked about it before. Real life, these things happen. But I think the focus, like you said, does have to be on what was happening to Tyler. And I think that far too few people are talking about that over the fact that they had nudity in Star Trek. The thing that that I was more curious about than that scene uh, or in that scene was the ridges go all the way down her back too. That was kind of interesting to see on a Klingon. I don't know if we've ever seen that before either. I think it's been suggested to us in uh, in the episode where Worf um, becomes paralyzed. Yeah, Mm. spinal injury. But you know, you mentioned or you referenced my point about strong women. I mean, make no doubt about it. Laurel is an incredibly strong woman, you know, Klingon or whatever. You know, she is a, a strong role that is played by a, a fierce woman. And I think it's played extremely well. In, in this particular scene, Ash Tyler is a prisoner, which means he has no ability to consent. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he he agreed to this simply to stay alive. And that's not a choice. You know, that's uh, essentially what we're talking about is, is the rape of a human male by a Klingon female. And that's really what I, I keep coming back to with this scene. Was it gratuitous? Perhaps to some, I think it was in scope of the scene and I get why that choice was made. Although she could have been covered up just the same, but I think it was a more powerful message. Um, did it need to happen? no, but again, I keep coming back to the fact of we have an assault <laughs> that is occurring in this, and it, it's it has huge impact on the character. We understand now why he reacted the way he did in on, aboard the Klingon ship, and and that's what I keep coming back to. I don't want this to sound the wrong way because I don't mean it to be um, uncaring or anything like that. For that scene to have you know Klingon breasts in it, it made it more real or realistic, I should say. Far too many times when watching television or something like that, and there's there's something going on with people, and there's always they're always covered up just perfectly and something like that. It doesn't give the same realism. He was being abused and and violated in these scenes. And it gave it more realism to me. I, I don't know if I should apologize for thinking that, but that that's what I thought when I when I really thought about it a little bit more later on in the evening. Um it's, it is interesting to see the different uh, the different opinions that are out there on social media, and I'm sure that this is going to be a story that's probably going to continue on for a little bit longer. You know, we know that, that Cornwell and Lorca hooked up aboard the Discovery. They didn't show anything there. They didn't need to. We don't know if Tyler and Burnham have. It's possible. But again, if they have, we haven't seen it. Uh, and we didn't necessarily need to. I respect the opinions of those who think that this was gratuitous and didn't need to be seen. I, I take no issue with it. Um, it's just, it's not what I focused on in watching uh, the scene because it, it was what occurred to the character that, uh, that shocked me even more. Right. 
Well, there are so many other discussion points that we could possibly bring up, but then it'll be a three-hour show. So we're going we're gonna to cut the discussions uh, off at this point. And right now, we reserve this special time to reflect on those who we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but, you know, we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. 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 Discovery is a Star Trek show where we are going to lose crew and we're going to lose characters. That much is certain. So, Bill, who did we say goodbye to in the fall finale? This week, Dan, we bid farewell to a ship of warriors. You know, I've been a Team Cole guy since episode one. Team Cole for life, yo. And, well, I guess it's time to get off that train, huh? This week, Dan, we say goodbye to General Cole himself. He got blowed up along with the entire crew of the Klingon Ship of the Dead, making them really the Ship of the Dead. Dan. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes. Uh, Well, Bill, let's raise a glass of blood wine in their honor as they join the honored dead in Stovacor in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. Kapla! This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has so many collectible pin offerings aside from just Star Trek. Dan, did you know that Fansets has pins for one of your favorite franchises? That's right, Alien. You yourself can now get pins from Alien or Harry Potter or even Justice League, which hits theaters really soon. No matter your fandom, Fansets has just a pin for your favorite characters. Head on over to Fansets.com and check out their vast array of products and accessories. Plus, I know you've all been waiting for it. We have an exclusive offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Enter the code JUMP133, that's JUMP133, all capital letters, at checkout for 10% off your order with Fansets. This code will be available to use for two full weeks so be sure to take advantage of the special savings before Sunday, November 26, 2017 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Wow, nice. Another two-week special code. That is great. Just in time for the kickoff of the holiday shopping season. And you know, Bill, Series 3 is now available uh, to take advantage with that special savings. And you know what? I got to say, keep your eyes out for some new TOS pins coming soon, my friend. Amazing. You know, Dan, another way to add to your collection is by signing up for the brand new Fansets episode pin collection. Yeah, that's right. The Star Trek Discovery episode pin collection is a great way to show your love for the latest Star Trek saga. This collection consists of unique pins for each of the 15 episodes of Discovery's first season, plus that special season pass pin that we've been talking about. And it's available for you to order right now at episodepins.com, but you have to do it fast. The season pass pin will only be available if you sign up before midnight on November 17th, 2017. Orders after that date will still receive the 15 episodic pins, but you will not get that additional season pass pin. So as Dan mentioned, head on over to episodepins.com right now and place your order. And then about four to six weeks from right now, the first eight episode pins are going to be in your hands as the subscribers, along with that special season pass holder pin. And then again, four to six weeks after the season one finale airs in 2018, the remaining seven pins will ship out. Fansets, 
a set for every fan, and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. You know, Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Bill, this was a strong episode for me in our sensor analysis, and normally I would reserve the right to have you go first because you are so good at this, but the last couple of weeks, you've kind of really hit it out of the park. So I'm going to go first because I just have a feeling that yours is going to be as amazing as always. And I just don't want to feel, you know, bad. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, this week at the beginning of the episode, the captain and the crew are ready and do disobey direct orders from Starfleet command and risk their lives to protect a defenseless planet and species. And, you know, for the most part, except for only a few of the crew, this species are complete strangers to the crew of the Discovery. It's so assuring to me to see that the element of human compassion is still strong with the crew, even in the midst of this long and bloody war. You know, in a sad way, we see things like this far too often today. You all know the stories. Someone opens fire on a crowd of innocents at a concert or a marketplace or even a church, for God's sake. Yet there's this undeniable desire to want to help those in need. And we've seen people risk their lives to get others in these circumstances to safety. We've all heard stories about those who've done this and in saving a total stranger have sacrificed themselves and been killed by one of these crazy individuals who are hell-bent on shattering the lives of innocents as a way to promote their own twisted ideology. Sometimes it takes the worst of a circumstance to bring out the best in our humanity. And I long for the day when it's just an everyday occurrence to show our best qualities and that they always shine through. Bill? Thanks, Dan. You know, I made this comment to somebody earlier today that this Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, is the Trek I've wanted, but it's the Trek I didn't necessarily know that I needed at this point in my life. For half a century, we've come become accustomed to a franchise where characters get to you know, shrug things off every week and move on to the, the next adventure or the next first contact. And, and Discovery has really sort of changed that game in the way it tells its story. Sure, we've, we've seen the effects of, of being assimilated by the Borg for Captain Jean-Luc Picard and for an episode. But for the most part, our characters tend to develop amnesia when it comes to things like trauma. But not Ash Tyler. Now, let's presume for the moment and for this discussion that Ash Tyler is 100% human, okay? I've seen discussions over the past several weeks where people would ask, how can he be okay after all that time on the Klingon ship? And The reality is that Tyler was anything but fine. It's just at this time, he couldn't hide it from himself or anyone else. When he came face to face with his torturer, Laurel, he was petrified and couldn't act. 
I could feel my own anxiety levels start to rise as I watched that scene. And I noticed that I had stopped breathing during that scene. It was a reminder to me that post-traumatic stress syndrome, because again, it's not a disorder, is a very real thing that millions of people all over the world live with every single day. I, I felt for Ash Tyler to the point where I started to panic a little myself. And then I had to remember to breathe and use the exercises I've learned over time to calm myself down. We have this huge stigma in American culture. And I don't know if this exists in other countries, but we tend to not talk about issues of mental health because of the perception. And it's, it's time that it stopped. It helps that the writers of Discovery have given us heroes that are human. They feel things and they carry their experiences with them and it, it makes them far more relatable as characters. But it's also a stark reminder to me that we just don't do enough as humans to relate to those that may need it the most. Instead, we sweep those thoughts and, and feelings right under a rug because somebody may be embarrassed or, or even offended. I've been incredibly open about my struggles with anxiety and my triggers for the last several years. My feeling is and, and has been that if it helps just one person, then my sharing was worth it. I know. I mean, I know that someone somewhere is going to see what happens to Ash Tyler in this episode and be able to relate to that moment and they'll tell someone about it. And to me, that is absolutely the most powerful part of that scene. Dan? Well, I said it a minute ago. I, I'm glad I went first uh, because <laughs> you <laughs> you did it again, man. Very well said. Uh, incredible, incredible personal feelings. Uh, well done, buddy. Thanks, man. So now it's time for our Starfleet commendations for this episode nine, Into the Forest I Go. We're going to pick a couple of things to specifically call out in the episode. It could be a character. It could be a performance, scenes, whatever is on your mind, co-host, partner, man. So uh, some brief call outs. What do you have for this week, bud? Well, uh, let me start off with um, with director Chris Byrne, my first Starfleet commendation. You know, Dan, the direction of this episode is a great compliment to this fantastic script, and Byrne has really nailed this episode. It, like you said earlier, it feels like a season finale and not just a fall finale. You know, I hope we get to see his work again in a future episode of Discovery because he just, he, he, he knocked this one out of the park. Next up, for my second commendation, I have to say it goes to Shazad Latif. I truly was blown away by Shazad this week, as, as you could tell from the last segment. You know, he's been solid ever since he's been introduced on the show. And I think his portrayal of Tyler's PTSS episode was simply outstanding. I felt his anxiety and I felt him shutting down and it was phenomenal. I've said for weeks now, this character was burying his pain and his having been tortured. And we found out that's more true than we possibly could have imagined. And lastly, Dan, my final Starfleet commendation absolutely has to be writers, Bojan Kim and Erica Lepolt. Bowie, Erica, I know you may be listening. I thank you first for that, but the two of you truly kicked our asses this week with a script that did not miss a single beat. Thank you so much for a great story told incredibly well. Each episode of Star Trek Discovery has nudged the bar just a little higher, and this episode 
does that and then some. Well done. Yeah, I uh, I have to echo that sentiment. Uh, Bojan King and Eric Bojan Kim, excuse me, and Erica Lippolt. It is so refreshing to Star Trek fans that this show is in the hands of true Star Trek fans like yourselves, and you put so much passion and energy into what you do, and it showed this week. It was amazing. Love you guys for what you have done, and cannot wait to see what else is in store down the road. But <clears throat> in addition to that, I had several things that I could have called out for a Starfleet commendation, but I'm, I'm just going to mention one because it's a little lengthy. Uh, there was a scene in this episode that really hit home in ways that I can't really even begin to describe, but I'm, I'm going to try to. Anyone who's listened to Trek Geeks know that I, knows that I had a very difficult time in my life once, and that Star Trek saved me, specifically Deep Space Nine. Uh, I would be dead if not for that show playing on my VCR one night so long ago. I got through everything and it was really hard, but it was through what happened that I met and eventually married the woman of my dream, Susan. Last night, watching Discovery, the scene between Ash and Michael in his quarters flooded me with emotion. I've said many times to many people over the years that I would have gone through everything that I went through again if I knew that Sue was the end result of all of that pain. Tyler's comment to Michael during last night's episode that he would, that he quote, wouldn't be here with you, end quote, if not for what he had to endure and that it quote, makes it almost all worth it rings so very true for me, except that for me, it was all worth it. So again, to Bowie and Erica, that story and that particular scene meant more to me than I can even possibly describe to you. So thank you. Long range scan of planet complete. So Bill, this long range scan is is going to be a really long range scan as, as we've hit the mid-season break. So Let's talk about what we think will be happening in the second half of season one. I like that plan. You know, Dan, for me, as I look into the the long-range scanner, I think we've wound up in the mirror universe. And as a result, I believe our crew of the Discovery will have to infiltrate the ISS Discovery to get or even steal some method to get back home. That's my prediction. Write it down. Lock it up. The ISS Discovery. Oh, my. <laughs> I like that. Well, I'm I'm kind of on the same road as you, buddy. Uh, you know, Lorca really screwed the pooch. You know, I'm going to be blunt. You know, by altering that last jump, he's brought the ship and crew to territories unknown. Based on what he and Stamets were talking about earlier while looking at the alternate universe pockets of dark energy, and also given the fact that Mr. Jonathan Frakes, who, by the way, is directing episode 10, has already mentioned in passing the Mirror Universe, I too believe that Discovery is now in the Mirror Universe, and we are going to open into Chapter 2 in January, figuring out how the hell are they going to get back to reality. Dan, as we mentioned last week, our friends at Fansets are giving away some amazing collections of pins to lucky listeners of this podcast during the Discovery Winter Break, aren't they? 
Yes, indeed, they are, my friend. Uh, and it's so easy to be entered into this contest and win some great stuff. We want to hear from you, our listeners, and have you be part of an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. We want you to give us a call at 508-784-1701 or go online to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a voicemail about your thoughts on the first half of the season of Star Trek Discovery. Tell us what your favorite moment was from the first nine episodes, because we want to hear it. And we're going to take all of these messages, we're going to put them into an episode of the podcast during Discovery's winter break, and then during that special episode of Discovering Trek, we're going to pick three winners at random from all of the submissions we receive. Now, third place is going to receive a USS Discovery and a USS Shenzhou pin. Second place will receive a Series 3 set of Discovery pins, which will include the Klingon sarcophagus ship, or I guess the ship of the dead, as it's now being called, Laurel, Dr. Culber, Ash Tyler, and Cole. And Bill, I think you have the details on what our grand prize winner is going to get, and they're going to be one happy camper, aren't they? You know, that that may just be the understatement of the season, Dan. Our grand prize winner is going to win the first eight pins in the Fansets episode pin collection. I'm not joking. That's really the prize. This is really an amazing giveaway. And I tell you what, we cannot thank Fansets enough for supplying those awesome pins as prizes for our listeners. They are amazing and we love them. And I tell you what, you're going to love these pins. So as Dan mentioned, Call us at 508-784-1701, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks between now and Sunday, December 10th, 2017, and leave us a message on your thoughts about Discovery, and you could be taking home some awesome fansets pins. That is great. But you know what, Bill? I've got a surprise for you and for our listeners that is hot off the presses, my friend. Really? Yes, sir. You know, we love fansets. You know that we do, and everybody who listens knows that we do. They're the official sponsor of this here podcast, and we will always tell the world how great they are. Well, they love our listeners, too, because they're offering up some huge savings on their website for the upcoming holiday season. On Cyber Monday, which is Monday, November 27th, 2017, anything that you purchase at the fansets.com website if you enter the code word cyber at checkout all in capital letters you are going to get 20% off your entire order wow 20% wow i am stunned yeah head on over to fansets.com cyber monday start your holiday shopping early and uh, we thank fansets so much for sponsoring discovering trek So as Discovery is taking a well-deserved break for a few weeks, here at Discovering Trek, we too will be taking a short break to take in everything that we just saw in this mid-season finale and the previous eight episodes. But worry not, we have something special coming up in a couple of weeks, don't we, partner? We sure do, Dan. Next time on Discovering Trek, we're going to have our mid-season review of Star Trek Discovery. And I heard a rumor that we may throw in some special surprises as well. We're going to discuss the story and character development so far, as well as how it translates to modern day. So we hope you'll join us for what should be a great discussion. In the meantime, do remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. 
And for those of you on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, we truly would appreciate it if you'd rate and review the podcast. That will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Dan. All right, everyone. That is it for episode nine. Uh, Bill and I thank you for joining us for this first half of the season. We look forward to our next great discussion. And until then, here are some words of wisdom from the great bird of the galaxy himself, Mr. Gene Roddenberry. The strength of a civilization is not measured by its ability to fight wars, but rather by its ability to prevent them. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.